Welcome to Key to Success. And today we have a guest who is a medical student at Tufts University in the United States. He's a graduate of Danforth Collegiate from 2014. Welcome to the show, Peter Tao. Hi, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Great. So on to our first question. What were you like in high school and what were your grades like? So um, fun story. I I wasn't the best student in high school, just uh, just being honest. And Mr. Key, I'm sure you remember that pretty well. Well, I remember you like, okay, so like, let's just say you were like number one, 99, 98% average student, but like you were in the mass program for STEM and you were still like, you were still a good student. Yeah. I mean, I try, I try my best, but, um, you know, high school, I was a very different person. I didn't place uh, nearly as much value on education as I think I should have. And, you know, there's a lot of regrets there for not working harder, but as you said, I still did get pretty decent grades. So like, what, what were we talking? What was your university entrance mark like? Uh, it was about a 94 or so back in the day in uh, 2014. Yeah. So you, you're still, you're still above average for, for any kind of student coming out of Danforth for sure. Like you said, you didn't work very hard. So like, what were you, what were you into outside of school? What kind of distracted you? Yeah, back in high school, I was really into um, gaming and computers in general. I, I remember going home and building computers with friends, uh, you know, playing a lot of uh, video games with friends and stuff. And that took up most of my time. And there, There's definitely some regrets there. <laughs> but it's okay because it, it kind of all worked out. But then yeah. like, so how, how do you go from this guy who plays lots of video games with like a 94% average to to where you went for university? Like, why did you pick sciences? Well, um, I was deciding between engineering and, uh, and science, but at the time I had a pretty good idea that I thought I wanted to do medical school or research and I figured science would have been better idea than, than, um, you know, engineering for that. So, Mm -hmm. and I wasn't that interested in working as an engineer. So kind of made me pick between the two and I ended up going with, uh, science at the university of toronto that's where you know i started to actually uh focus more on my education because that's that's a hard program Mm -hmm. now is there any particular reason why you you picked u of t for science well um you know toronto born and raised i wanted to stay close to home i wasn't ready really to leave home yet and i think that played a large part in wanting to stay in Toronto. So I went to the, uh, you know, downtown Toronto campus at the University of Toronto. They had a good science program. They have a lot of research opportunities and some really good faculty stuff. Okay. And so from what I understand, like most of the people that take science at U of T want to become doctors. Is that true? I think a lot of people, when they go in, they, 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 um, they think they want to do medical school, but then, once they get in and they go through maybe a semester or two, a lot of people, I, I know a lot of friends, either they realized they couldn't make it or they realized they like science, uh, just basic science more. Um, a lot of people I know back in our freshman year of undergrad who, who all want to go to medical school. And then by our uh, sophomore year, there were very few. Hmm. Okay. So when, when you started, U of T, how did it differ from your expectations? 
I um I knew it'd be hard. Everyone talks about how how hard of a program it is, but you know, me being an arrogant 18-year-old, I thought I could I thought I would just cruise in there, get, you know, 4.0 and uh <laughs> change the world or something. I don't know. That wasn't exactly what happened. Uh, it, it was really hard. It was definitely a wake-up call. And compared to high school, I mean, the course load became a lot harder. My grades uh, dropped quite significantly. I, I wasn't getting a 4.0. I, I didn't have nearly as much free time as I as I thought I would. Um, I spent a lot of time studying. I spent a lot of time um, just, just in the library or just at my desk, just reading and writing and doing practice problems. It was a lot. It was a lot more than I thought it would be. So how, how did you go from this person that, you know, played a lot of video games and just kind of got by on, on natural smarts to somebody that was like studying in the library all the time. So what was the big wake up call? I mean, it was, it was, um, I think the biggest one was when I went into an exam and it was a biology exam and I just felt like I didn't know anything. <laughs> I think I got, I don't remember, probably a 65 oh. on, on a midterm. And that's when I realized, wow, maybe, maybe I, maybe I need to take this more seriously. So how much did your, your marks drop by in first year? I would say on average, about 10% less than my grade 12 grades. Wow. Okay. Yeah. On average. So just still pretty good. I mean, I know a lot of people where their marks dropped a lot more than that, but I would say, you know, at the time we were told to expect the 10% marks drop and overall, I, I found that to be uh, pretty close. Wow. Okay. So it dropped 10% your first year. And then with all the increased studying you did, what did you bring it up to? Or did it stay the same? So it was kind of a learning process. Um, my first year, grades weren't too good, but they did gradually get um, better over time. Um, second year got better. And I think in my third year, I got, it was, I, it was almost a 4.0. I think I got a 3.98 wow. in 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 third year, um, yeah, I got one A minus. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what, what's the trick? What's the trick to improving your marks in university? I think the biggest thing is pick something to study that you like to study. And when you like studying it, it doesn't really feel like work. And then uh, studying ends up being easier. Uh, the material I find sticks a lot better. And you're, you're not as... Um, you're not as um what's the best way to put it you're not as burned out from the studying i would say hmm. so i heard in psychology there's something called you know called motivation and it, it's a finite resource people don't have infinite motivation and i feel like if you you're doing something you like it runs through your motivation a lot less hmm. okay is, is there any kind of like study techniques or time management techniques that you used so I've heard of a lot of different ones. I know a lot of my friends like the Pomodoro technique for studying. Um, That's awesome. We just talked about it in my last podcast. So can you, can you explain what the Pomodoro technique is? So you have a timer and 
it's set you set how long you want to study for i think the standard is 25 minutes so you study for that 25 minutes and then you get about a five minute break and then you go back to studying and that's for most people it's helpful i i i've definitely used it before but i don't know for me i kind of just like to jump between methods i don't if you ever watch me study i'm not very structured in the way i do it it's just you know, I think everyone, I think the biggest take takeaway is that you really have to find a study strategy that works for you just because it works for everyone else uh, doesn't necessarily mean it works for you. So for some courses, the Pomodoro technique work, some, some courses, I would just uh, study until I got bored and then take a break. Hmm. Sometimes I'd go an hour or maybe even longer. Sometimes there'd be a course where I'd go only 10 minutes before I needed a break, you know? I think it depends on the course for me anyway. Okay. What were you doing for breaks? Were you going back to video games or were you doing something else? <laughs> um, it's been, it's been a while. Um, college was what, like three years ago for me. So I don't remember too much of what I did on breaks, but probably just played on my phone, Instagram, Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Normal stuff, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Did you, you did know, you, I guess, yeah. I guess now would be TikTok for people. Yeah. Did you join any clubs or extracurriculars in university? I did. I, I was part of uh, quite a few clubs that really kept me busy. I was um, captain of two intramural sports teams, uh, wow. table tennis and hockey. That was fun. Cool. Um, I was a supervising responder with the University of Toronto Emergency First Responders. So that's, uh, you provide first aid coverage for events around campus on a volunteer basis. And so I was a supervisor for that. Hmm. Got to cover some really fun events and uh, really get to help students whenever they got hurt at an event. So one of my favorite events to do was school night. So that's by the University of Toronto's uh, engineering school where they would host the kind of comedy hmm. show or variety show. Hmm. And as they were setting up, they needed us to be there during the show. They needed us to be there. And there are quite a few injuries that went down. I remember one guy had a giant wooden board hit him in the head. and That was really rough. So. Wow. So how did, how did you get into that club? Like, what did you have to do to be in that club? So um, they do offer just free info sessions on, at least this was how it was when I was in college, but uh, they had kind of information sessions to help you learn some first aid topics if you had your first aid certification you could uh, provide coverage for events around campus and if you had some more advanced certification you were allowed to be a supervisor so hmm. i had some of that and i was also part of a club that was closely related to that called the university of toronto um first aid society i was president and chief communications officer for that so that was a club that actually provided uh, first aid certifications for students around campus at a discounted rate. So these were all really cool causes. Huh. So are, are these things that kind of helped you get into med school? I would say so. I mean, I think any, any leadership role really helps. I mean, doctors, physicians, you know, by definition are leaders and showing that you're able to lead a team is absolutely an important characteristic it also gives you a lot of experiences to draw on whether it's your personal statement or for your um interviews mm. okay 
So that's, that's, that's a pretty good bunch of extracurriculars you had. You're pretty well balanced. That's, that's great. Over your entire degree, what was your favorite course and what was your hardest course? Honestly, I think, I think they would be the same course. And that would have been my third year um, molecular biology class, MGY 311 for anyone going to University of Toronto. <laughs> why, why, why was that the hardest and your favorite? So that was a course where we, we, we were allowed a double-sided sheet where we were allowed to write anything we wanted in terms of notes. So it was essentially an open book, um, midterm, open book exam, open book quizzes, all of this. So, you know, as a teacher, I'm sure, you know, if it's open book, <laughs> it's not going to be easy. Yeah. So it really focused on um, critical thinking as opposed to rote memorization, which I thought was really cool. Um, just the course that focused on that, it was really hard. Um, a lot of my classmates did very poorly in the course. Um, mm. it, it, it wasn't easy. I mean, a lot of times you, you, would, you would look at the question. You've, it's stuff you learned about, but then they're asking you to apply it. and. Yeah, it it wasn't easy, but I had fun. I really enjoyed it. It's hmm. awesome. Okay, and so I think it's actually really. Um, sorry, sorry for cutting you off. I just yeah. wanted to add in. I think it's actually pretty analogous to the med school curriculum, just something huh. like that, where you know, memorize, memorizing everything doesn't necessarily help you. You have to be able to take what you learn and apply to a real world situation. So. That's hmm. what I like to do. Okay. And so when you were nearing graduation, you still wanted to be a doctor and you were getting interested in research. So what, what happened when you graduated? What was the path that you took? So when I graduated, I was torn between research and medical school. I'd done research in a lab at the University of Toronto for three years. Like right after my freshman year, I was working in a research lab. I, I have, I, I did a thesis project in fourth year. I have several posters from my time in that lab. And I really liked it. I, I thought it was really cool. I, I saw that that was something I could do. But med school also called to me. and It was a tough decision. I actually took both the MCAT and the GRE. So I wasn't sure if I wanted to do an MD or a PhD. So after graduating, I took the GRE, I took the MCAT, and then I took, you know, a few years off, as you know, uh, to, to really focus on myself and see what I wanted out of my life. So in those few years, I worked for a patient support program, helping patients in rural Canada secure insurance coverage for their insurance medications. And just having that more direct patient experience, I thought, well, I like this. Um, I think medical schools for me. And then I, I shadowed a few physicians and then went to medical school. Okay. So that, that was kind of like a three-year time of you exploring and job shadowing physicians, right? Uh, it was about two years. And the third year was the COVID-19 pandemic. And um, I spent most of that year taking care of my family during the pandemic and also applying for medical school. Okay. So- 
was it that you, so you didn't apply to medical school right away because you were exploring it or was there another reason? Yeah, I wanted to just decide whether I wanted to do a PhD or an MD. Either of them, you know, it's a huge commitment. A PhD, you're looking at probably five years at least. An MD is four years at least. Mm-hmm. It's a big commitment. I wanted to make sure that whatever I went into, I didn't regret it. So did you, do you remember what, what the moment was? What was the deciding factor, the deciding event that made you say, I'm going to go for med school? I don't think it was one singular event, but there were definitely a few, uh, a few multiple patient encounters during my job where, you know, just speaking with these patients, learning about their stories, you know, that just kind of clicked with me. And I like talking with these patients. I like learning their stories. I just always wondered what if I could do more for them when they were telling me about, oh, this doctor prescribed me this medication. I was like, Huh, that would have been fun to have been the doctor prescribing it. Hmm. Just overall working with patients for me was something that I felt I wanted to do more than just research in a lab for the rest of my life. Okay. So being being of Asian descent, how much pressure was there from your mom to go be a doctor? Oh, absolutely none. <laughs> <laughs> my mom wanted me to be a pharmacist. <laughs> Okay. And so how, how did, how, what was her, rea- her reaction like when you told her you wanted to be a doctor? <laughs> I mean, she just kind of looked at me like, are you serious? You know, she's heard, she's, you're right. She, she's, she's Asian. She's an immigrant. Um, she's, she's got a few of her, you know, Asian characteristics and she definitely meets a lot of the Asian mom stereotype, but she's also lived in Canada and the United States for many many years i would say probably over three decades now hmm. or at least almost three decades something okay. something like that um so you know she knows she knows a lot of what's going on in canada and us she she knows about how hard medical school is and i i don't think she i don't think she thought i could get in <laughs> i think she was worried Okay. Can you explain what the process is to get into medical school for people who are not familiar with it? Yes. So um, I'll talk about the Canadian med school application, and then I'll talk just briefly about how the U.S. system differs a little bit. Is that all right? Yeah, perfect. So in Canada, um, generally, you would apply. They take some people who apply in their third year and then they don't even finish their bachelor's degree. They just go straight to medical school instead of their fourth year. Mm -hmm. I know one person who managed to do that. He worked in my lab Mm -hmm. Uh, back in undergrad. He was probably one of the smartest, probably the smartest person I've ever met, or at least one of them. I think at university of Toronto, his lowest grade was like an A plus. (laughs) (laughs) um yeah he he applied in his third year got in and didn't even finish his bachelor he just went straight to med school from fourth year but for most people you would either apply during your fourth year or even after that Mm -hmm. um you'd have to take your mcat which is i believe a six or seven hour examination it's divided into four sections critical analysis and critical and analytical reasoning section there's a psychology and sociology section a 
biology and biochemistry section, chemistry and physics section. You're graded on a percentile and the minimum score you can get is 494, I think. Mm -hmm. And the maximum would be a 528. Okay. Or no, sorry, 494 is not the minimum. It's 472, right? Because 500 is the 50th percentile. So 472 to 528. You're just kind of graded on a percentile once you have your score. You apply. That involves, depending on the school, usually you have some um, questions to answer for the specific schools. You enter what activities you've done. You get reference letters. You submit your transcript. Mm -hmm. And then you just wait to see if they interview you. And if you do, you get an interview. And then after that, you're either accepted, waitlisted, or rejected. And that takes about a year. So in Ontario, um, applications are due usually October 1st. Interviews are usually sent out in January, February, and March. Interviews run through April. And then uh, applications all come out on the same day. I think May 10th or somewhere around there changes year by year. Hmm. Okay. Do you have any questions about that? What's your advice for people to prep for that? Start early. You want to get, you want to give yourself more than enough time to study for the MCAT. You know, I think most people recommend two to three months mm. um, and make sure during those two to three months, you're actually studying. It's, it's not an easy exam. There's a lot of material to cover and just memorizing everything won't even help you. You really have to do practice questions and, see how you can use those uh how you can use the things that you've learned to and apply them to questions it's it's one of the hardest entrance tests for a reason mm. okay um and, and and work on your everything else early to make sure you have professors who are willing to write you reference letters make sure you um look up the schools that you want to apply for see if they have specific deadlines for anything see if they need specific reference letters see if they have prerequisite course requirements hmm. okay so when you studied was there was it maybe like part of a team effort did you have friends that studied with you were you alone studying how did how was that picture for the mcat there's a lot of different um there's a lot of different routes you can go for. Some people like to study as a group. Some people like to study solo. Some people like to um, take take a prep course. Mm -hmm. Personally, for me, I like to study with my mom. And what I mean by that is I'll learn something and then I'll teach it to her. Yeah. Because if you're at a place where you can teach other people, yeah, you're very comfortable with the material. So that was a lot of what I did was I would learn something, teach it back to her. Okay. Wow. Interesting technique. So she put a lot of effort into this for you too, right? <laughs> yeah, it was fun. It was, it was a bonding time. Okay. So you wrote the MCAT in your graduating year? Yeah. And then um, the year I actually applied, I took it again and scored a little bit higher. Okay. Okay. And then when you applied again, is that like when you made the decision you might want to go to the States? 
I mean, I applied for Canada and the States. I applied to both. Okay. How is getting to the States different from Canada? So for the United States, it's a lot earlier. So you, you, you generally start applying in May or June. Mm-hmm. And everything's rolling in mission. So the earlier you get your application in, the better your chances are of getting an interview or an acceptance usually. Um, you, you're going to submit your primary application. It's called your common application system. That's I think it opens up in June and you want to submit it as soon as you can because they have to verify all of your information. So that usually takes about a month. And only after your application gets verified, do individual schools you apply to then send you a secondary application, which has school-specific essays. And what does the primary application consist of? It's very similar to the Canadian one. It's letters of reference. It's your activities. It's your personal information. But it also has something called a personal statement that's not really seen in the Canadian system. Hmm. Okay. And what's what's the personal statement? It's just um, really a story about yourself. Why are you choosing medicine? What is, what, what makes you want to do this? Okay. It, it's a chance for this for you to tell every school you're applying to your story. Okay. Now, when you applied to the states, did you get any help from the university or any coaching? No. So how did you find all this out? Did you did, like did anybody help you or did you just you just had to do all the research on your own? A lot of self-research. Um I reached out to people I knew and they were able to help, but a lot of uh, self-research because Canadian schools they don't really deal much with the American system, unfortunately. Hmm. I know in American universities they, they have like a lot of places have a pre-med advisor and they're the people that help you gather your reference letters. They give you guidance to your, um, to your personal statement, all sorts of things like that. Hmm. Uh, just coming from a, a Canadian undergrad schools, I felt that I was at a disadvantage because I didn't really have that, but hmm. you know, if you want it hard enough, you, you make it happen yourself. Right. Right. Okay. So after you applied to all the schools the second time, or after you took the MCAT the second time, um, I don't know if you mind sharing, like which which schools did you get into for for med school? So I don't want to list uh, specific schools, but I had between Canada and the U.S. I had about I think ten interviews. Wow! I had six waitlists and acceptances. Mm-hmm. Um. And ultimately chose to go to Tufts. Okay. Now, why did you pick Tufts? So I'm actually part of something called the Main Track Program at Tufts, where um, it's 40 students out of our 200-student class. Uh, We're doing our first year in Boston, and then for the next three years of our program, we're going to be at Maine Medical Center in Portland, Maine. Mm -hmm. So it's got a little bit more of a rural medicine focus, and I really like this particular program, the main track program. I thought it was a really cool program, especially since I've worked with a lot of uh, patients from Atlantic Canada and the rural areas, Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, Labrador, PEI, New Brunswick. Mm-hmm. And Maine is right under New Brunswick, 
just south of it. So a lot of the province main state patients face are the same ones uh, that patients I um, worked with in Rokenda face as well. So I remember when I was working on the patient support program, I spoke with a patient who had to travel by airplane to his ophthalmologist every single month because wow. he lived in a remote part of Newfoundland, Labrador. So, you yeah. know, there's huge barriers to access to care for these rural patients. And that's something I really wanted to work for. Okay. So what is it about rural medicine you like so much? It's just a really good place to make a difference i think these are very underserved communities um there's a lot of barriers to care there's a lot of uh difficulties involved with you know providing good care providing accessible care uh throughout the state and that's something i want to be a part of and do what i can to change that Hmm. okay going going back to all all the admissions interviews and stuff that you got what what was it about your application, do you think, that got you so many? That's a tough one. Um, probably have to ask the schools for that. <laughs> so you don't think it was like your mission statement or your experience, the extracurriculars you did, your grades, the MCAT score? Is there anything that you think stuck out the most? Uh, probably my MCAT score. I, I know I scored very highly on the MCAT. So I definitely say that that's, that was a huge positive for me. I felt that I had a good personal statement that really uh, summed up my life story very well and was a good read. Had pretty diverse experiences and I think overall, they just, I don't know. I think that's it. Uh, like the interviews when you go in for the interviews uh, what kind of prep would you do for those and what kind of questions would they ask it was really different depending on the school i know for example mcmaster um in hamilton ontario they had multi-mini interviews so preparing for that interview was a lot different from (laughs) preparing for any other school's interviews um even um, NYU Long Island School of Medicine in um, in Mineola, New York, that school also does an MMI, same as um, multi-mini interviews, same as uh, McMaster, but it was completely different from McMaster's. Hmm. Um, whereas, you know, University of Western Ontario had a panel interview, so did, I think, Almost every other American school I interviewed, I was also a panel interview, but they all asked different questions. I don't think there's anything really consistent. I'd say, you know, in terms of preparing, I would just go online and see if I can find out what I can about the schools and learn about the school, learn about the city, learn about the area. Mm-hmm. And so for, for each place you applied to, you expressed that you were interested in rural medicine? Uh, for most of the places I applied to, I expressed that I was interested in um, underserved communities, okay. whether that's rural medicine or whether that's, um, you know, um, minorities or 
basically anywhere where there's just an underserved population. And those were generally the areas for which I got interviews. Okay. And were all these interviews remote or did you have to travel everywhere? Yeah, because the pandemic, they were all remote. Okay. But normally, like somebody would have to pay to fly out to all these cities to interview? Yeah, it's a lot. Wow. How much is it yeah. to apply? How much is it to apply to the med school, like teach school? Ooh, it's a lot. I think in Canada, um, in Ontario, you submit the common application, which is a few hundred dollars, and then you have to submit an additional probably hundred dollars per school or something like that. Wow. The States is even worse. I think for your primary application, it's I can't give you an exact price. I don't remember it, but it was probably about, I want to say 30, 40 or $50 per school. And then each school then sends you a secondary application, which is school specific. And that usually runs you about a hundred dollars per school. Wow. It's not cheap. Yeah. If you don't mind me asking, what, what is the tuition cost like in the States compared to Canada for med school? <laughs> it's a lot more. I think in Canada, you can get through all four years for about $100,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the States, you're looking at, depending on the school, my school is about 70000 per year. Holy. 70000 Canadian or 70000 US? US. Wow. And why is it so expensive? I mean, it, it's private schools. Mm-hmm. In 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 um in Canada they're all uh, publicly funded right like the University of Toronto is a public institution technically right whereas um a lot of them are private schools in the states and there are public ones but those ones favor um in state residents so you have something called in state tuition where if you're a resident of that state you pay a lesser amount that mm. would usually be I think about thirty thousand US dollars hmm. on average, but you know, living in Canada, I don't, I can't get that. So, if if you could give us a ballpark figure, what will the total cost of your medical degree be when you're finished? Ah, uh, I'm including, you know, scholarships and residents living there. Ah, uh, including rent, probably. Probably three hundred thousand. Wow, or two hundred fifty, two hundred fifty to three hundred thousand, something like that. U.S. Yeah. If you don't mind me asking, how are you paying for your tuition costs and rent? <laughs> loans. <laughs> A lot of loans. How hard was it to get the loan? Not too difficult, but um, you know, when when you're getting the medical uh, degree people are willing to lend you loans. <laughs> okay. All right. They, they know you'll be able to pay it back, but um, you know, it doesn't make it hurt any less. So since you're in the States and you're qualified to teach in the States, that doesn't make you qualified to teach in Canada yet. What's the process to get back into Canada? So there's a general U.S. medical licensing exam, USMLE, that we do have to pass as part of our graduation requirements here in the States. Mm -hmm. And that'll 
let me apply for residency in the States to, to work as a physician in the States. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there are some state-specific licensure exams, but I think that's after residency. As for Canada, there's something different called the Medical Council of Canada Qualifying Exam, MCCQE. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a mouthful. <laughs> The MCCQE is uh, the one that you'd have to complete in order to apply for residency and work as a physician in Canada. And you, if you go to medical school in the States, you absolutely could do the MCCQE and, uh, and apply for residency back in Canada. Okay. So is this just sim- as simple as just doing that exam, passing it, and then you can just work in Canada? I think I think so. Okay. <laughs> Don't quote me on that. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm only in my first year, so you know, um, licensing exams are still pretty far away for for me. So I haven't looked into it extensively, but I I know it's possible to go back. Right. Okay. And uh, what are your plans, though? What are you What are you going to be gunning for? Back to Canada or somewhere? Stay in the states for a bit. We're still thinking about it. I don't even know what specialty I want to do yet. And I think once I decide on a specialty and then seeing where I want to practice in that specialty and then from there, make my decision. Hmm. Okay. Side question. Who gets paid more American doctors or Canadian doctors? (laughs) That I'm not sure about, but I would have to assume American doctors just because um, training is so much more expensive. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's get, let's get into getting into med school. So how did med school differ from your first impression? Yeah. Um, so remember how I talked about undergrad and where, you know, everyone talks about how hard university of Toronto life sciences and my arrogant 18 year old self. It's like, yeah, I can handle it. And then I started and I realized it's a lot harder yeah. than I thought it would be. Yeah. That's med school as well. so what was about med school that's like so much harder and cranked up a notch it's just so much information on there's there's a once you're in med school you're gonna hear this all the time every doctor you talk to is gonna gonna say this i've probably heard this like 10 times in the past month but it's like drinking out of a fire hydrant (laughs) yeah it's it's been rough i mean my my 20 how old was i 24 no 25 my 25 i'm still 25 but my younger 25 year old self thought yeah no i can handle it this is you know it's gonna be hard but i'll be fine i was so arrogant yeah it's it's a lot it's it's just constant information constantly every single day all you're doing is studying and it's just so hard okay can you give us an idea of your course loads like what were the so you just you just kind of finished your first semester at Tufts, right? Yeah. Okay. So what was what was in your first semester? How many courses did you take? What what were they? So our first three weeks was um, epidemiology and biostatistics, as well as population health in the profession of medicine. So that was just a three week intro course. Um, you know, at the time I was like, oh yeah, maybe I actually can do this med school thing. It doesn't seem so hard. Well, that's kind of the point. It's supposed to be easy. 
<laughs> just to ease us into it, then we started a 12-week block called Scientific Foundations of Medicine um, that covered uh, genetics, cell biology, biochemistry, um, immunology, microbiology, um, microbes of infectious disease, uh, physiology. Wow. So it's like your entire undergrad packed into one course? Basically, yeah. You're looking at you're looking at the MCAT, but more information in a 12-week period. Hmm. It it was a lot. And then you're probably thinking, well, can't get much harder than that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought too. <laughs> After that, we started. Um, I think it was six weeks of the musculoskeletal system where we learned about every single muscle and bone and ligament and tendon in the entire body. How did, did you, did you get to dissect things? Or people we did. Or like, yeah. 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 We have cadavers of five per table and we go in there, we, we get to identify every muscle. And then we had practical exams where we would walk through the lab with 65 stations where on a cadaver, they would have a body part pinned and then the bell would ring. And then we'd have a minute to identify it. Was there anybody in your class that couldn't take it? They were like, no, I'm done. I can't do this. No. Okay. Well, nothing like that. I think you can apply for, you know, special circumstances to be exempt from that, but generally it's, it's mandatory. Okay. So working on a cadaver, how do you mentally prepare yourself for that? You can't prepare yourself is, is what I would say. I mean, you, it's, it's going to be shocking for everyone. Um, but, but our school has really good resources. We have a coach who's always there to talk with us. We have, you know, our Dean's always open door policy to talk about it. We have peer support. We have wellness resources. There's a lot of things there for us for us to talk about what we see, how we feel. Hmm. It wasn't easy. I mean, yeah, it was really hard, but like, do you, do you get used to it? And how long does it take to get used to that? You, sadly, I would actually say sadly, but yeah, you do kind of get used to it. So how many how many weeks how many weeks in does it take for you to get used to working on a cadaver? It depends on the person, but for me personally, it took probably three weeks mm. to really just and I'm still not fully okay with it. I mean, I go in there and I mean every night uh bef- before I have to go in, I'll pray to just thank God for for the people who who gave up their bodies for us i mean it's it's really special and the biggest takeaway for us though is that our coaches just try to tell us that these people really wanted us to learn from them and they donated it out of their kindness and it's it's really something special Hmm. wow wow okay (laughs) so are you constantly working on cadavers throughout your medical education or is that just like the one time it really uh depends on the school but at my school it's kind of constant we have 
uh, one, one to three sessions a week where you just go in there for four hours and just dissect. And we have a list of things to dissect. Hmm. Um, we've had the last three weeks off of that because just the part of our, um, lock didn't really, um, have anatomy, but generally, generally it would be one to three times a week. You go in there, you dissect and it, it follows our, our courses. So during musculoskeletal system, we were dissecting the muscles, trying to identify the bones, the ligaments, everything. Hmm. Uh, the arteries and veins as well. I forgot to mention that. Um, now we just finished our gastrointestinal and nutrition unit. So during that session, when we we're doing GI, we were uh, dissecting the abdomen, the internal organs, like the stomach, pancreas, things like that, hmm. the liver. Um, next, we're moving into renal. So it's going to be a lot of the retroperitoneal space. So kind of the back of the abdomen where the kidneys are. Yeah. And it just follows the system that we go into dissections. Wow. Um, weird question, though. <laughs> sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to ask you, like, what is the smell like and how do you get used to it? Oh, well, honestly, th this is what the pandemic's been really good for. <laughs> We're wearing masks. <laughs> <laughs> I have my fitted respirator, my N95 respirator. I can barely smell it, but. Ah. Okay. Some people in there go in with their just the surgical mask, and they say it's it's a very uh, harsh smell. Wow! I highly recommend you get you wear your fitted respirators <laughs> to anatomy, and I also heard if you chew on a mint beforehand, and then the smell oh. of your mint gets into your mask, and then it's it's a lot um, less strong. You just kind of smell the mint, which is really good. That makes a lot of sense. A good tip. And that ends part one of Peter's interview. Join us next week when we talk about how heavy the course load is, marks, stress, and supports from Tufts University. See you then.